0: If you're new with us, uh, we uh, typically work through books of the Bible, and uh, we're just going to continue doing that on Easter. We have a wonderful passage in front of us in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and so if you uh, don't have a Bible, you can follow along on your device or at our website, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 down to 6-2. Let's pray together uh, before we have a look at this wonderful text. Lord Jesus, uh, we say with the disciples, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life, a lot of words we could read in this life, a lot of news we could hear in this life, but there are no words like your word. There is no news like the good news, and I pray you would make our our weary hearts rejoice today with all that is conveyed in this text and how it points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, and everybody said amen. I have a pastor friend named Jahil who is the new pastor of a church in Shreveport, Louisiana. He was originally asked to uh, be a consultant for this church as uh, they're an older congregation and they're trying to reach uh, their diverse neighborhood. And uh, as he was consulting them, he ended up staying to become their pastor. And Jahil told me a wonderful testimony uh, of a young man or older, uh, middle-aged man, I should say, named Lee who recently came to faith, he said Lee would drive to the church building every Sunday and he would drop his mother off, but he never got out of the car. He never, never attended. And Jahil reached out to Lee and eventually they began meeting regularly and uh, simply started studying the Bible together. And after a period of time, Lee put his faith in Jesus and was baptized. Jahil told me he was actually the first African-American believer to, to come to faith through uh, the, the specific ministry of that local congregation, and it has uh, sparked a bit of a revival in his congregation. And then Jahil told me that Lee had been diagnosed with a severe form of liver cancer, and he will die in just a few weeks outside of a miracle." He said, "My associate pastor said that he has never seen anyone get into those waters in so much pain." His baptism was a total act of faith and stirred up a lot of faith in people. It could be the beginning of revival here at our church. He goes on to say to me, Tony, Lee has been battling liver cancer for a year now and has suffered tremendously and is only weeks away from passing. But the biggest battle for his soul has been won. I can't stop thanking God. I still remember the day Lee called me and told me that he had fallen on his knees in the bathroom of the hospital crying out to the Lord and surrendered his life to Jesus after watching a sermon I preached from Jonah 2, 1-10, Salvation Belongs to the Lord. That was on November nineteenth, 2020. The Spirit of God opened his eyes and heart to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior that day, and he's been following Christ and trusting that he died on the cross for his sins ever since. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. What an amazing God, Jehil writes. I'm so thankful that there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Because of Jesus, Lee is going to live forever. To God be the glory. My wife told Lee that if he was the only reason why God sent us to Shreveport, Louisiana, it would have been well worth it. All for Jesus, Jehill. This passage speaks about the good news of the gospel, the hope that we rejoice in today, that if anyone is in Christ, young, old, Dying, healthy, white, black, brown, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. This is good news. This passage in uh, 516 down to 6.2 is actually one of the most profound statements about the gospel in all of scripture. And when we started our church 10 years ago, we, we took this text, this is the first text we looked at uh, in our very first Sunday meeting publicly as we conveyed our mission statement, that we desire to see lives changed by the gospel. Now, the gospel is a word we use a lot. It simply means good news. The good news is about what God has done for us, not about what we have done for him. What God has done for us in Jesus Christ is good news. And Easter is the celebration of the most important weekend in the history of the world. And throughout our study of 2 Corinthians, we've been thinking a lot about the cross and the resurrection just a few passages that kind of orbit around our passage in 2nd corinthians chapter 4 verse 14 we looked at this verse knowing that he who raised the lord jesus will raise us also with jesus and bring us with you into his presence and we looked at chapter 5 verses 1 to 5 how paul calls this body a tent it's vulnerable and it's temporary but this tent will be replaced by a building he calls it we will get a new body We will enjoy the new earth being raised from the dead. And then last week, in verses 14 to 15, we looked at this little theological shorthand statement that Christ has died for all, therefore those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And now in the passage we're looking at today, we're essentially asking this question, what's so good about the good news? What are the implications of Easter? And I want to share with you this morning three blessings of the gospel. Each of them end in Asian. PlayStation, not one of them, but three important words. Regeneration, that is Christ's new life in you. Reconciliation, Christ the mediator for you. And justification, Christ's righteousness given to you. Regeneration, first of all, Christ. New life in you. That's verses 16 and 17. As Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now all of us know, I think, that something new can kind of give you a lift. For example, baseball season has now started, and the new season gives fans a sense of optimism. Maybe this is our year. Or you move into a new house, and that can be very exciting. You, you have a, a new season to begin. Or maybe you get a new haircut, which I really can't identify with, but many of you can. And you, you, it, it brings a sense of freshness to you. Or there's this whole thing of retail therapy. You know, if you've been dumped, for example, what you need are some new clothes, you need to take up a new hobby, you need to become the new you. But the problem, of course, is your hair grows out eventually. Your new house eventually needs repaired. Your fashion... Uh, fashion has now changed and you need some new clothes and your team still stinks this season. But there is a newness that never fades and that's what Paul is on about in verse 17. Behold, catch this he says, this is different that if anyone is in Christ he or she is a new creation. We use this theological word regeneration to describe this oftentimes. It simply means the work of God that he does in the heart of a person to make them new. It's, it's, it's in which uh, we often use the phrase born anew or born again. We're given new life, and now we have a new compulsion. The love of Christ compels us. We have a new affection. We glory in Christ Jesus. We have a new perspective on the world, as Paul says in these verses. We have a new power to obey God. And we have a new vocation as ambassadors of Christ. And Paul says in verses 16 and 17, specifically related to our text, that there are three things that happen when a person receives regeneration, when a person is made new in Christ. First of all, he says, we don't look at others the same way. Look at verse 16 again. From now on, that is, in light of what he just said about Christ dying and rising from the dead, in light of the events of Easter, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. Because the sun, this physical sun, has risen, we see everything differently. And because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, we see the world differently. As one translation puts it, we don't recognize people by human standards. We don't regard anyone, he says, any longer according to the flesh. Now, a couple of qualifications here. This doesn't mean we always see things rightly as Christians and unbelievers always get everything wrong. We're not infallible, and we believe in common grace. What it means is we assess things differently. We don't judge people, chapter 5, verse 12, according to outward appearances any longer. And this doesn't mean that we're blinded to physical things. When he says we don't regard anyone according to the flesh, it doesn't mean that you couldn't see, for example, that a person has an 8,000 square foot house, or that a person has blonde hair, or is of a particular race. What it means, again, is that you don't size people up based on outward appearances. You don't say, well, I'm not going to like that person because they have a, a, a gun rack in their truck. Or, you know, that person has a lot of money and you know people who have a lot of money are just stuck up. Or that person is poor, so there's no way they can understand me. Or that person has an accent, they obviously are not very intelligent. We don't size people up according to outward appearances. How is it then that we look at people? Well, what we see most of all is this. We see a person who will stand before Christ. And so before you take a second look of lust at a person or a second look of hate toward a person, recognize that he or she will spend eternity in heaven or hell. Because of the events of Easter, we look at people differently. We look at people who are fellow image bearers of God, who have immortal souls, who will stand before Christ, and that perspective changes how we look at them, talk to them, and relate to them. One of the effects of regeneration is we don't look at people the same way. Secondly, we don't look at Jesus the same way. Verse 16, Paul says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In light of the events of Easter, we no longer look at Jesus from a mere fleshly perspective, a worldly perspective. If you just looked at Jesus from a worldly perspective, he would look like a failure to many. After all, Jesus never went to college. He was a blue-collar Galilean carpenter from a dumpy little town of Nazareth. He was put to death in the most gruesome way. No one would ever follow Jesus if they assessed him by the flesh. He was basically homeless. He was despised and rejected. And so throughout history, people have had various opinions about Jesus. Some have regarded him as a revolutionary who gathered a band of desperados to bring about social liberation. Others see him as an itinerant, nonviolent teacher who just spouted pithy uh, sayings others view, have viewed him throughout history as a charismatic healer who tried to bring reform to Judaism the pharisees saw him as a charlatan and a blasphemer who died in a cursed death and that's how paul saw him before he was regenerated but now paul and likewise all of us who have been made alive in christ assess jesus christ differently we see him today as the son of god he is the savior He is the Lamb of God. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our Advocate. He is the Victorious One. He is the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. He is the Author and Perfecter of our Faith. He is the Bridegroom, the Cornerstone, the Deliverer, the Faithful and True One, the Bread of Life, the Good Shepherd, the Great High Priest, the Head of the Church, the Holy Servant, Emmanuel, the Mediator, the Messiah, our Hope, our Peace, the Way, the Truth, the Life, The door, the risen Lord, the King of kings, and Lord of lords. He's all of that and more. That's what Easter has done. And that's what the Spirit of God has done in our lives in taking us from dead people and making us alive. What's so good about the good news? We're new. And we see people differently. And we see Jesus differently. And thirdly, we see ourselves differently. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Paul says some really important things about us here. Really important things about regeneration. He says it's universally offered. If anyone if you're hearing me today this applies to you. You're under that, that broad category of anyone. Sometimes when you're on the phone with some operator or something they say press any key to hang up. Doesn't matter which key you hit just hit one. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. It's universally offered. It's personally transformative. Something happens, he says. You are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come because you are in Christ. You share in his life, his death, his resurrection. His blessings are your blessings. And the means by which you obtain this is faith. It is by faith in Jesus that you are given this new life. And when you place your faith in Jesus and he gives you new life, you get a new identity. I've shared this story before, but it's one of my favorites of the North African Church Father Saint Augustine, who died around 4:30. Not this morning, but back in the day. Augustine was a, a total lust ball. Uh, you can read about it in confessions. He had multiple girlfriends. He lived a very uh, immoral life. His mother was a Christian, prayed for him for many years to become a Christian. He was 32 years old when he heard some kids singing a song outside saying, take up and read, take up and read. And he went to the Bible and he said, whatever I open to is going to be uh, the, 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 the the verse uh, that the Lord has for me, which I don't recommend, by the way. Uh, fortunately, he didn't open up to Judas, hung himself or something. But he, he opened up instead to Romans thirteen about uh, putting off the works of darkness and taking on the, the 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 armor of light and Augustine was made new. He never turned back, and not long after this experience that Augustine had, he saw one of his mistresses who started chasing him down the street. Saying, uh, Augustine, it is I, it is I, it is I. And he kept running from her. Augustine, it is I, it is I, it is I. And he kept running from, from this girl. Augustine, it is I, it is I. And he eventually turns to her and says, But it is not I. It is not I. I may look like the same person, but I'm new. And that's what happens when you become a Christian you get a new I. Now, not everyone has the dramatic story of Augustine, but we all have the same effects of that being brought from death to life. Everyone has a dramatic testimony because theologically we were dead and we've been made alive. But as you read the biographies, the way it all happens is sometimes uh, less dramatic. For, for example, C.S. Lewis says, I was on the motorcycle with my brother and we were going to the zoo. And when I was on the zoo, or I was on the bike, I didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. And when I got to the zoo, I believed and the, and the fruit of his story is the same as the, the fruit of, uh, of Augustine's story. Sometimes people have to hear the gospel over and over and over and over again. And sometimes it happens the first time. I have a friend who's a church planter in Boston named Matt Tuning. And Matt went to college on a, on a basketball scholarship. He had no idea what the gospel was. In fact, when he was registering for the school, it was a Christian school, they said, are you a Christian? He said, yeah, my mom's Jewish. And they're like, well, (laughs) we're going to have to explain a few things to you. And he, he said that the first time someone explained the gospel to him, he believed. Well, however it works out in your life, whether you're 12 years old or a 90 year old, as I heard a testimony last week, verse 17 is gloriously true. We are new. We have new identities. We have new affections. But this transformation is also cosmic. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Now the Greek literally, uh, it has to. Su- we have to supply the verb. It, it reads, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. That is, some translations make it, we are part of the new creation. There is an already not yet to our new creation status. We are new creations prepared for a new creation to come. God has made us altogether new. And that's One of the aspects of the gospel that makes it good news. Regeneration, Christ's new life in you. Secondly, reconciliation, Christ the mediator for you. Verses 18 to 20, Paul goes on to talk about this work of reconciliation. All of this, he says, is from God. That is, it is a divine gift. The Father has initiated this reconciliation. All of this is from God. He is the goal of the reconciliation. That we would be brought to harmony and peace with the Father. Think about that for a moment. God is the offended party. And yet he took the initiative to restore us back to fellowship with him. So one of the reasons why Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Of all the things that Jesus could say that would make us reflections of our God, he chooses peacemakers. Because that's what our God is. You reflect the character of God when you're a peacemaker. And happy, blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they are called, they are recognized as sons and daughters of God. And this reconciliation happens through the agency of Christ. Verse 18, through Christ he reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Oftentimes we've used the the bridge analogy of you've got uh, humanity over here and you've got a holy God over here and there is a gulf in the middle and the only way to get across the gulf is a bridge. and We often draw the cross, don't we? To, to describe this as a bridge. Every time I think about this, I think about an experience I had in Greece in 2004. We were doing beach reach on the, the beaches of, of Greece, which was a bit difficult because a lot of people don't wear clothes. But we were doing our best to uh, explain the good news, and there were some uh, guys from Bangladesh who kept trying to sell me these beach mats, and uh, they came up, and we told them no two or three times, and they came up again, and eventually I said, all right, man, I'll give you $5 for a mat if you give me uh, five minutes to talk about Jesus, and he says, $3, and I... (laughs) I said okay so I gave him three dollars had three minutes and so I wanted to do an object lesson and the only thing I could find on the beach was a cigarette bud and a water bottle so God was the water bottle humanity was a cigarette bud and uh, the man kept saying mean no smoke mean no smoke uh, and the uh, the analogy went nowhere uh, my friend said t-bone just give him a track and let's let's move on with our day and there the problem you see is a problem was a problem of translation and communication. But the greater problem of humanity is, is that they don't feel like there's any gulf. When you, when you start explaining reconciliation, the assumption is you're alienated from God. You're not cool with God. But that's not what most people think. A lot of people would say, I don't need a bridge, pal. We're fine. But that's not how we should think biblically. Paul writes in Colossians 1, You were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He's reconciled you in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's the good news of the gospel. We were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds with twisted motives. And now God has come to our rescue and reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. The good news is not good news unless you know there's separation and that Christ has come to overcome that separation and bring us to peace with God. And so it's very important as we press the gospel on people to encourage them as graciously and effectively as we can for them to consider their condition biblically. To consider, for example, that sin consists of ingratitude toward God. In Romans 1, when Paul's talking about the sinfulness of humanity, one of the first things he says is, although they knew God by creation, they did not give thanks to him. Our ingratitude is, is, is sinful. Or consider the fact that sin involves making good things ultimate things. We call that idolatry. Or when you consider what the Bible says about the heart, that we're wicked and sick doesn't fly well in modern day culture. Or what James says, if you break one law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. Or that sin involves leaving good things undone. And that ultimately, sin is a personal offense to God. David writes in Psalm 51, against you after he sinned with Bathsheba, and you only have I sinned. And you read that and you think, that's not true. You sinned against her. Him, the whole country. But at the deepest level, he's right because sin is ultimately offense toward God, which is why we need to be reconciled to God. And the good news of the gospel is that has happened. As Paul says, Christ has come into the world to reconcile us to God and give us the message of reconciliation. Christ is the mediator for us. He doesn't just forgive us though, right? That would be one thing. But Christ, in the story of the prodigal son, the father receives his son who had spent all of his inheritance and squandered it all on worthless living. He just doesn't forgive his son, but he wraps him, embraces him, kisses him, says, kill the calf, we're gonna party. In the gospel, we not only get pardon, we get party. We get the father rejoicing over us. This God who we were once at odds with, we're distant from, he's now welcomed us in his embrace and he throws a party every time a sinner comes to repentance and faith. So restoration is desperately needed and one of the signs of this restoration happening in a person's heart is peace. Paul talks about this in various places and we know this experientially if you if you don't have this peace with God, John Paul Sartre, one of the famous atheists, said that God does not exist, I cannot deny, but that my whole being cries out for him, I cannot forget. I'm longing for the God I say doesn't exist. Or the way Augustine said it previously, O oh God, you have made us for yourselves, for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And this is the great work, Paul says, that God has given us. He's given us a new vocation, church. We are these ministers of reconciliations. We go about telling the world how they can be reconciled to God. And then he tells us how this actually takes place. Verse 19 expands on verse 18 when he says, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Praise God today. God has not counted our trespasses against us. If you, the psalmist says, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I don't think that's my car. I'll take it as an amen. That's a good preaching, man, when the alarms go off, right? (laughs) He's not counting our trespasses against them whether that's a major trespass or a trespass like allowing that alarm to continue to go off, it doesn't count our trespasses against it. I mean, he's wiped away all of our record of debt. He's canceled our sin and we're forgiven. Well, that's good news in verse 19. It's good news in verse 18. It's good news that that went off. Sorry to, sorry to have a distraction there. That's just what happens, man, when you're outside. It's all good in the hood. No worries. If that's your car, we love you, baby. All right? Now, the fact that you and I were total failures and we had all of this record of debt mounting up against us and all of it is off of us, it's just awesome. Kimberly and I went, uh, we did that great sport of bowling, uh, recently and Kimberly was uh, attempting to bowl. She, she had good form and she rolled it and her foot went over the line. And uh, when she did, she slipped and she, she went straight up in the air. And I couldn't stop laughing uh, until she turned around. And then I was like, I'm sorry babe, I'm sorry. And you know what, it, her ball went in the gutter but with these modern day you know, score systems you just have the little button and you can just hit delete frame. And I just deleted her frame. And put a strike in its place. And that's what Paul goes on to say about the gospel. God has deleted our record. And we've not just went from negative to neutral. We've went from negative to positive. Christ's own righteousness has been given to us. He says in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's a whole other sermon we could spend on us being ambassadors and being ministers of reconciliation um, as we go out into this world as his, his witnesses. We're ambassadors for Christ. Think about what dignity that gives you. You're ambassadors not of a political leader, but you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And what this means is obviously, like you, you speak on his behalf, you, 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 you um, display his character before the world. And you're not doing it alone, it's dynamic. God is making his appeal through us as we tell people to be reconciled to God. And then we finish here in verse 21. For our sake, we're on this third Asian here, justification. Regeneration, Christ, new life in you. Reconciliation, Christ the mediator for you justification, Christ's righteousness given to you. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the how of reconciliation. How did all this take place? And here we land at the heart of the atonement, the heart of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Paul doesn't mention the cross, but it's clearly in view as he talks about what Theologians have talked about through the years as the great exchange. Christ taking our place. Christ absorbing the punishment that we deserve. And in place, giving us the righteousness that we have not earned. John Stott put it well one time when he says, The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. And the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. The problem? We're not righteous. The solution, the very righteousness that God has required from us, Christ has provided for us. Look at it closely. For our sake, verse 21, that is, out of divine grace, in view of our need, for our sake, He, the Father, made Him, that is, the Son, Christ, to be sin. Not that Jesus sinned, he was perfect, but to be counted as a sinner. To be sin who knew no sin. He was perfect and spotless. So that in him, that is by faith in him, through our union with Christ, we enjoy all the benefits of his work. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As those united to Christ, we are clothed today in Christ's perfect righteousness. His perfect record becomes ours. We're not only acquitted. We're not only taken from negative to neutral, but from negative to positive. And here we see how Christianity differs from every other religion in the world. And this is not a slam on other religions. I think if we were to line them up with them, they would confess this to be true. Every other world religion is a do-religion. What you must do. The five pillars. The noble sevenfold path. Some works-based system in order to merit paradise or some kind of afterlife. But Christianity is not a due religion. Christianity is a done religion. Because Jesus Christ has paid it all. We cannot earn righteousness. We can only receive righteousness. We receive it by faith and therein is hope for every person who ever hears the gospel Martin Lloyd-Jones a great preacher in England in recent history wrote it does not matter if you have almost entered the depths of hell are guilty of murder as well as every other vile sin does not matter from the standpoint of being justified with God you are no more hopeless than the most respectable self-righteous person in the world do you believe that he asked Yes, we become acceptable, not on the basis of our works, but upon the basis of His work. And that was the great exchange that happened at the cross. Jesus Christ is our substitute. Christ in place of us, on behalf of us. And that's what was happening on those dark hours on Good Friday. But as Paul said, on Sunday morning, God raised Him from the dead. And in Romans 4, he writes... And he was raised for our justification. Now, what does this truth, what should this truth do to us? That we today, as Christians in Christ, are dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For one, this should bring us joyful gratitude, it should make us sing, it should bring a sense of spiritual health to us, it should bring a sense of humility. Because there's no boasting. It's all his work. It should unite us in community because the church is the community of the justified. It should bring a sense of confidence to us. As the hymn says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. That's where our confidence is. And it brings a sense of global mission. The world needs to hear of this message. So what is so good about the good news? What are the implications of Easter? Regeneration, Christ's new life in you. Reconciliation, Christ is the mediator for you. Justification, Christ's righteousness given to you. And all of that funnels down into chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 when Paul says, receive this if you have not. He says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time, behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul is echoing here Isaiah as the people are being brought back uh, from captivity. He's speaking a word of hope about that salvation that they had in their deliverance. Speaking about the new covenant day to come as well. And Paul says, Today, that day is here. Don't miss your opportunity to have this new life, to be reconciled to God, to be justified before God, all of it through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we celebrate on this Easter. Our Christ is risen, and He has given us new life. He's given us a new relationship with our God, He's given us new standing. Our greatest problems have been solved. Our greatest fears have been relieved in the gospel. And if you're here today, you're not a Christian, you're watching online and you're not a Christian, we would love to sit down with you, talk with you more about placing your faith in Christ and rejoicing in all that is ours. Rejoicing in all that is ours by grace through faith in Christ. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for revealing the good news to us, for bringing us up up out of the depths of Sheol, as the psalmist says, for rescuing us, for delighting in us, for sending Christ on behalf of us, in place of us, instead of us, for giving new life to us, for giving us new peace with God through this reconciliation that we now enjoy. Fill our hearts with gratitude today. Make us a humble people. Make us a united people. Make us a people who have this message on our lips as as ambassadors for Christ, as ministers of reconciliation. You've given us a noble purpose in this life to help others be reconciled to God. We're grateful. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.